you know, this idea that I'm above it all. You know, I can't see the di- what's the difference between Russia and Ukraine. Well, the difference is Russia is doing evil and Ukraine is being uh, persecuted by that evil. And you, if, to not take a side, to not take a side is, again, pretending that somehow you are not being affected by this tragedy. This is a dangerous situation. It is a dangerous situation that could threaten you, could threaten your children, could threaten the world. It really could. And just saying I'm above it all is ridiculous. To be above it all when somebody is doing evil is to be in support of evil. And a third thing, and I see this all over the place, and especially on the right, it's very annoying, is everyone is lying. You know, everyone is lying. So since everyone is lying, but I know, you know, the, the real thing, once the real thing comes out, once the, the real truth comes out, then we'll, then we'll see, you know, that I was right all along with whatever the hell it is I'm saying, right? Now, the thing is, and I'll, what, what bothers me about this is I hear it from a lot of people who are telling me that Putin was okay, Putin was okay, you know, and now suddenly Putin is, is literally killing children uh, to get what he wants out of a country that is not his country. And I'm hearing the same people say, you know, all the, all the people I hate, like Nancy Pelosi, are on Ukraine's side. Shouldn't I be suspicious when these people who lied to me? And the answer is no. He's being so evil that even Nancy Pelosi knows it's evil. Even Nancy Pelosi knows it's evil. Everyone who can think is against him. And the thing about it is, is that people have lied and people in power have lied. Our press lied. They lied about Russian collusion. They lied that you can transition, that we can transition to clean energy without first using up the energy that we have while we're making that transition. They lied about masks. They lied about where COVID came from. They lied about Donald Trump uh, again and again and again. Again, they lied when they said that there was no shenanigans in the election. And that has made us weaker. It makes lies are cancer. They make us weaker. However, however, not everybody lies. Not everybody lies. You know, many years ago, Peter Robinson, terrific interviewer on Uncommon Knowledge uh, out of the Hoover Institution, he asked me why I was so obsessed with lies. I'd written a novel called Empire of Lies. I'd written a big article for City Journal called The Big White Lie, uh, describing political correctness. And I told them that leftism has failed everywhere, and the only thing they have left to support their ideas uh, were lies. And political correctness, which is now essentially wokeism, uh, is a system of lying and then shutting people up, condemning people when they expose your lies uh, so that your lies don't get exposed. And the problem, of course, my problem with lies is not necessarily a moral one. I'm not saying, you know, oh, you should never lie or, you know, if somebody's hiding uh, Jews under his floorboards when the Nazis come, shouldn't lie about it. You know, I'm not one of those a purist, and it's not ascetic or anything like that, uh, it is that lies are like cancer. They destroy a civilization. They destroy the trust between people. They destroy the trust in married couples. They destroy the trust between people and their governments. And all of that is what we're seeing right now, and especially in this moment uh, when an evil person, Putin, uh, is invading a country, and I'm going to talk about that. Um, and and people are talking about this and saying a lot of stupid stuff, including people on the right. They're saying things that simply are wrong. They're morally wrong. They're some of them are logistically and uh, factually wrong. 
And it's hard to get through to the, the truth because we don't trust any of the people who are assigned, you know, the press, the government, people who've been lying to us now for years. They have destroyed our trust in them, and rightly so. And so how do we find out what's true? And what every novelist knows, every artist actually knows this, is that the best way to understand other people's lies is to understand how and why we lie to ourselves. For instance, uh, this week, in an unbelievable act of evil, the uh, Russians shelled a... Um, a maternity hospital uh, in one of their uh, in one of their cities. There were last I heard there were three dead and seventeen wounded. These were women about to give birth, uh, little children. One of the people who was killed was a ch- uh, was a child. This is in the city of Mariupol. And the thing about this, the important thing to remember about this is that this was not an accident. The Russians are saying it was a military facility. It's obviously not. We can see it's not. Uh, but the important thing to remember about this is this is what Putin does. He does this all the time. He did it in Syria. He did it in, uh, you know, in every, every, all of the territories, Crimea, all of the territories he's conquered. If he thinks that his military cannot win a military victory, he pounds civilian targets into submission. They're now surrounding uh, Kiev, as we call it now, uh, ready to move in there. It's freezing in Ukraine. So when the shells fall, uh, the heat goes off and you can't get water, you can't get food. Uh, it, it is genuinely, genuinely a terrible thing. And it's hard to look at. And one of the things that happens, I told you before that this is a tragedy. And one of the things that happens when people are in a tragedy, and just to restate what I said before, a tragedy is not something that's very sad. A tragedy is like checkmate, where you can, wherever you move, something bad is going to happen. And when you reach the point where you're, you're in a tragedy, you've already made so mis- many mistakes that you really can't stop it from being a tragedy. It's going to have tragic outcomes. And the terrible thing that we're facing right now is if we go in and we fight with the Russians or we establish a no-fly zone, for instance, and we get into a direct fight with the Russians, we risk nuclear war. If we don't fight with them, we risk nuclear war because ultimately the uh, Iranians are going to see this and attack Israel, the Chinese are going to see it, and they're going to attack Taiwan, and Putin's going to see it. And don't do not think for a minute that he won't go into Poland, he won't go into Finland, any of that. And when what happens, and and Putin is not crazy. He's not dying. You know, some people, the best people, the best commentators are saying we need to give him an off-ramp. He doesn't want an off-ramp. This is what he wants to be doing. He is doing exactly what he wants to be doing. And he is a thug. And as I said before, he's not Hitler because he's not crazy, but he is evil. And he's in a situation that is very, very akin, very like the situation Hitler was in, where his country had lost a war, had been humiliated uh, to see what they thought was the great new thing, the great thing that was going to run Europe. The Russians thought uh, socialism, Soviet socialism. Socialism was going to change the world, and instead it collapsed in misery, and they were humiliated in front of the whole world. And he, like Hitler, finds that when he goes back and says, I'm going to win the war we lost, the Cold War we lost, people love him for it. And so it's a way to uh, strengthen his regime, even though he's not doing anything for the people. He has done a miserable job of broadening their economy. It's still just a petro economy, uh, which is not such a good thing if we were to take advantage of that. And of course, that doesn't mean just because he's evil doesn't mean Joe Biden is not a weak, stupid, foolish man, okay? But the thing is, and and the reason I'm, I'm talking about this again, the reason I wanted to repeat all that is because when people are faced with tragedy, they turn away. They start to lie. Even good people do this. All people do this. And what artists understand is that by studying your own brain, by studying the way your mind tries to get out of this tragedy, uh, you start to see how other people are lying to you. And that helps. I mean, there's nothing more painful. Here's uh, Zelensky, the president of, uh, of um, Ukraine, who has just made himself a hero by fighting back, by pledging that he won't surrender, uh, by standing up. The, the people of Ukraine are fighting 
incredibly bravely. Uh, ordinary people, they're shelling Russian tanks. They're using the weapons that the West has sent them to stop Russian tanks, to bring down, down some of their planes. It is amazing stuff. The math is against them. The Russian war machine is big. It may not be well kept. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, Putin's oligarch friends were telling him, yes, give us the money. We'll uh, make the military better. And then going off and doing what they do, put their kids in uh, Western private schools and sleep around and do all those things. And the military looks like it's in bad shape. But ultimately, ultimately, Ukraine is in trouble and they're just going to have to keep fighting. When we watch Zelensky and he's crying out for a no-fly zone, it's painful. It's cut uh, five. Um, direct strike of Russian troops at the maternity hospital. People, children are under the wreckage atrocity. How much longer will the world be an accomplice ignoring terror? Close the sky right now. Stop the killings. You have power, but you seem to be losing humanity. We're not losing humanity. We're afraid. We're afraid of getting into a direct fight with Putin because he's unreliable. And who knows if he loses this, if he is completely humiliated, he will probably be killed. And he's, so he's fighting for his regime. He's fighting for the things that he needs. And so we turn away. We, when we realize we're helpless, we turn away. We start blaming people. And this is like this, the stupid novelist trick is to watch how your own mind tries to get out of this. And then you see the things, the strategies that people are using. So you look at these things that people are saying, let me give you some of the bad takes I'm hearing. And they really are bad takes. Uh, one bad take is it's America's fault. It's NATO's fault. This is ridiculous. Okay. This is what I call the narcissism of helplessness. When you feel helpless, it's very easy to say, uh, oh, if only I change, then they will change. So you say, well, uh, we can stop the Islamists from killing people if we just were nicer to them. If we just let criminals out of prison, they won't be criminals anymore because they'll see how uh, fairly we're treating them. Uh, if we make a deal with Iran, Iran won't develop a nuclear weapon and attack Israel. None of those things is true. We do not have that power. Our only power is to put uh, criminals in prison. Our only power is to kill terrorists. Our only power is to uh, destroy the regime in Iran. That's the only thing we can do. As Alfred the butler told the Batman, you know, there are some people who just want to watch the world burn. And so this, this idea that NATO, we shouldn't have tried to expand NATO, uh, that NATO is the cause of this. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. There are plenty of good reasons why we should invade Mexico. Mexico is corrupt. Mexico is run by uh, cartels, drug cartels. They're bringing those drugs into the country. Uh, they're running over our borders. They don't listen to us when we tell them to respect our borders. We, we could invade Mexico. If we did, the very same people who are telling us, well, it's our fault, it's NATO's fault that Putin invaded Ukraine, would be telling us that we were evil and, oh, these neocons who want war all the time just invaded Mexico. Now we're in a war with Mexico. The same people would be saying the same thing. No, this is the culture, uh, this is the narcissism of helplessness. Basically, we let Putin accrue this power by our stupid uh, energy policy, our stupidly letting our military lapse. Uh, we did the right thing in offering to protect Ukraine with NATO. What we didn't do is actually let them join NATO, and we didn't make sure we were powerful enough to stop Putin uh, and to starve him out. Uh, another th bad take is I'm above it all. I, I'm not going to choose between Ukraine and Putin. Clavin, how, you're a smart guy. How can you fall for all this, uh, you know, Putin is evil and Ukraine is good? Ukraine, it's not a question of whether Ukraine is good. It's not a question of whether Zelensky has always been right. It's not a question of whether they live according to the way we want to live. It's a question of invading a country that has deemed itself its own country. That is wrong. And then when you start to shell their uh, civilian outlets, that is wrong. You know, this idea that I'm above it all, you know, I can't see the, di what's the difference between Russia and Ukraine? Well, the difference is Russia is doing evil and Ukraine is being uh, 
persecuted by that evil. And you, if, to not take a side, to not take a side is, again, pretending that somehow you are not being affected by this tragedy. This is a dangerous situation. It is a dangerous situation that could threaten you, could threaten your children, could threaten the world. It really could. And just saying I'm above it all is ridiculous. To be above it all when somebody is doing evil is to be in support of evil. And a third thing, and I see this all over the place, and especially on the right, it's very annoying, is everyone is lying. You know, everyone is lying. So since everyone is lying, but I know, you know, the, the real thing, once the real thing comes out, once the, the real truth comes out, then we'll, then we'll see, you know, that I was right all along with whatever the hell it is I'm saying, right? Now, the thing is, and I'll, what, what bothers me about this is I hear it from a lot of people who are telling me that Putin was okay. Putin was okay, you know, and now suddenly Putin is, is literally killing children uh, to get what he wants out of a country that is not his country. And I'm hearing the same people say, you know, all the, all the people I hate, like Nancy Pelosi, are on Ukraine's side. Shouldn't I be suspicious when these people who lied to me? And the answer is no. He's being so evil that even Nancy Pelosi knows it's evil. Even Nancy Pelosi knows it's evil. Everyone who can think is against him. And the thing about it is, is that people have lied and people in power have lied. Our press lied. They lied about Russian collusion. They lied that you can transition, that we can transition to clean energy without first using up the energy that we have while we're making that transition. They lied about masks. They lied about where COVID came from. They lied about Donald Trump uh, again and again and again. Again, they lied when they said that there was no shenanigans in the election. And that has made us weaker. It makes lies are cancer. They make us weaker. However, however, not everybody lies. Not everybody lies. You know, the loss of the New York Times is a big deal. That was a real blow. They were a good paper, a uh, great paper once. And to, to lose them is to lose an authoritative source. And we have lost them. They are now full of lies. You know, uh, Project Veritas got one of their reporters, Matthew Rosenberg, on um, on tape, one of their secret tapes, and Rosenberg just admitting that leftist forces, including himself, were distorting the news. Here's just a little bit of that cut. I think there's like a real internal tug of war between like the reasonable people and some of the crazier leftist that's worked its way in there in ways that we're deeply unhappy about. How does that influence you guys up in your time? Oh, have you read the paper lately? Have you read the paper lately? Right. So the thing is, we are being lied to a lot. But not everybody lies. Not everybody lies. Brett Baer has a show, special report on Fox. He, you know, he's a he's a TV newsman, so they make mistakes because they're getting the news as it happens. But he's obviously not trying to lie. You know, Ben Shapiro, Ben and I disagree a lot on a lot of things. We disagree on values, but I've never heard the guy just try to deceive people on on the air. I'm not trying to deceive you. There are people who are trying to bring you the truth. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to acknowledge. This is not a fake thing that's happening. It's nothing is being hidden from you. I mean, things may be being hidden from you, but you can get at least the general information that you need. This is bad. This is a bad situation. And we have to start to think about what we can do in the future, because once you're in a tragic situation, you're not going to be able to do anything good about that. But you have to start to think about what you're going to do with the future. And I'm going to talk about that and more of the lies that are making us weak so that it's very, very hard for us to stand up against a guy like Vladimir Putin. I want to return for a minute to this idea of abandoning 
the idea of freedom, this attraction to authoritarianism. Obviously, on the left, the left is completely authoritarian at this point. They really want to get rid of the democratic process and just have you know the rule by by uh, climate enthusiasts. Uh, but but it's happening on the right too. And I'm I'm told a lot of times by younger people. Uh, that, you know, we hate you boomers, they say to me. Uh, and, and they're talking to the wrong guy because I hate the boomers too. I just wish they would all die without taking me with them. But, you know, they, they say, you guys grew up in an America that worked, that was still America, but we didn't. And so you're, we're so tired of your talking about the Constitution and of the values of uh, liberty. You know, we're looking for something new. We want to do something new. And you've got guys like, you know, Patrick Deneen and uh, Yoram Hazoni, uh, who are basically saying that the idea was flawed to begin with. The idea of liberalism was flawed to begin with because it allows people to do whatever they want and people are evil and broken and sinful. And they're going to, uh, the whole idea of liberalism was always going to lead us to societal decay. And my answer to that is this, everything decays. Everything decays, and everything decays according to its own logic, right? Each form of government eventually collapses. Uh, you know, they've been writing about this since the since ancient Greece, the cycle of regimes. Uh, and, and one of the things that happens in a free country is that it becomes chaotic, and ultimately people start yearning for a strongman. And that's the phase we're at now. That doesn't mean it won't pass. It doesn't mean we won't have another, uh, you know, a rebirth of freedom. Uh, we had it with Reagan. Uh, we could have it again. I hope we have it again. But meanwhile, we have to start thinking about... Uh, you know, who we are and what we support and what we really want and what we think that would really look like, uh, because it's not a lot of fun to be told what you can think and what you can say. It's not a lot of fun. You always, you always kind of in your dreams, you always think that you're going to be one of the powerful people. You're not, you know, and even in, and one of the things about authoritarian regimes is that even the powerful people aren't that powerful because if they go against the party line, they get thrown out. You know, there was a Quinny. Quinnipiac poll that asked Americans what we would do in Ukraine's situation because we're watching these people fight for their country. We, you know, I saw a video yesterday of guys dismantling, <laughs> dismantling a bomb, an unexploded bomb, uh, you know, a UXB. They're dismantling it with their hands while a guy's pouring water on the fuse so it doesn't go off. I mean, that, that I'm sorry, but that takes a lot of courage. That's incredible courage. They're fighting these uh, tanks, these Russian tanks on the ground. And so they asked Americans, what would you do? And and most Democrats, most Democrats said they would leave, rather leave America than defend it. 60% of the Democrats said they would leave America. They would basically go off to Poland, like many of the Ukrainians, rather than stay and defend it. And this is not women and children who have an argument. They, women and children should get out of the country. This is men saying this as well. As 40% said they would stick around. 60% said they would go. Republicans did better. 68% uh, said they would stand their ground. And so, you know, when, when I see the way that Biden is operating, uh, you know, I think he's actually representing the public to some degree. He's being incredibly, incredibly weak. I mean, we had this thing with these uh, Polish planes, the Polish, the Poland Poles were going to send. Now, remember, the Poles were right on the border of Ukraine. You have to remember that. It's not like we're safe here, you know, we're sitting around just saying, yeah, they should do this, they should do that. No, they're right on the border of Ukraine. They know they're under threat from Putin. Uh, they say we're going to send them some MiG fighters so, so they can fight the Russian um, Air Force. Apparently, the Ukrainian Air Force is still intact. They still have their own planes, but they wanted uh, these MiGs 
And the Poles were going to send them over. And then the Poles said, you know, we're right on the border here. What we're going to do is we're going to send them to Germany and then to an American base in Germany. And then the Americans can send them over. And the Americans suddenly said, no, we can't do that because then we might be risking an escalation toward nuclear war. And, you know, this is stuff during World War II, uh, before America got into the war, we had these neutrality acts that Congress had passed and we weren't allowed to sell weapons uh, to warring countries. And so Roosevelt <laughs> sent fighter planes up to the Canadian border. This is true. It happened in 1940. And the British snuck over the border with tractors and pulled the planes over the border and took the planes. And that was how he got around the Neutrality Act. You have to start to do these things. Uh, Biden is not doing them. He's pretending that he's being tough. Uh, he's not being tough. His sanctions aren't tough enough. He is, he is still uh, provided loopholes where banks can do uh, business with Putin's energy sector, which is what's funding his war machine. Uh, you know, he's not he is not doing enough. The sanctions are still weak. And I understand being I think we should be wary of escalating. I don't think we should have a no fly zone. I don't think we should go in there and get into hot fights with Putin, but I do think we have to do what we're doing, which more of what we're doing, which is isolating him, making his economy bad. I know it hurts innocent people, but this is war and that's going to happen. And I don't say that lightly. I understand that. But when you see maternity hospitals being shelled, you know you have to act, you have to do stuff. And, you know, these guys, this thing with the oil, the fuel, we have to talk about this for a minute. Here's here's John Kerry. Here's what he says. Said I, I played another clip. This is a different one. Cut three. We're already seeing climate refugees around the world. If you think migration has been a problem in Europe from the Syrian war, or even from what we see now, where do you see 100 million people for whom the entire food production capacity has collapsed? <laughs> so if you think if you think this is bad, oh my gosh, we really have to pay attention to the climate. You know, Stephen Coonan was on the show, and he wrote uh, he was written op eds for the Wall Street Journal as well as his book about this. He was in the Obama administration. He's not a conservative. He's not a climate denier, as they say. That foul phrase is another phrase they use to shut people up. Uh, he he believes that there has been warming. Here is what how he summarizes the actual reports. Because one of the things that happens is the UN puts out reports, and then people summarize the reports and the press reads the summaries and the summaries do not say what is in the report. So here's Stephen Coonan summarizing. I'm getting this from Claremont uh, Review of Books. Uh, here's Coonan summarizing the reports. He says, the earth has warmed during the past century, partly because of natural phenomena. Unfortunately, our limited observations and understanding are insufficient to usefully quantify either how the climate will respond to human influences or how it varies naturally. However, even as human influences have increased almost fivefold since 1950 and the globe has warmed modestly, most severe weather phenomena remain within past uh, Within, they're still within the past uh, parameters. Projections of future climate and weather events rely on models demonstrably unfit for the purpose. In other words, we don't know. We don't know what's happening. We do not know. This is the from the science. This is not just this guy's opinion. This is him distilling the reports that the UN is putting out and that the summaries are lying to the press about and then the press is getting hysterical about. This means, right, that we are being governed by little girls. We're being governed by AOC and Greta Thunberg instead of men who say, you know what, the climate is bad, but we still have to have oil. We still have to have energy. We still have to cut off Russian energy. You know, another liberal, Arthur, author Michael Schellenberger, he's also a progressive, or he was, he's been kind of red-pilled, but he said, people think Europe depends on Russia for energy because it lacks its own. But 15 years ago, Europe 
exported more natural gas than Russia does today. Now, Russia exports three times more gas than Europe produces. Why? Because climate activists, partly funded by Russia, blocked fracking. In 2014, NATO Secretary General revealed Russia was funding climate activists, saying Russia engaged actively with so-called non-governmental organizations working against shale gas to maintain dependence on imported Russian gas. That I mean, do you understand this now? Like that that Russia is actually supporting people like Greta Thunberg organizations that basically have convinced Europe and the United States that we all have to panic. We all have to go to renewables, which at this point, seriously, is is absurd. We don't have the renewables. It's it's great to study how to get cleaner energy. I'm all for it. It's great, great to study how we can have renewable energy. I'm all for it. But meanwhile, you cannot just set stand there and blow and hope it's going to turn a fan somewhere that's going to produce enough energy to power the modern world. These are the things that weaken us, and it's accepting the lies that are being sold to us by our enemies and being propagated by little girls, hysterical little girls, some of whom are grown men, and then buying into that and setting a policy by that. And then you make our country weak, and you make it so we look. people look at Putin and think, I'd rather have that. They look at China and think, well, at least China is efficient, right? And then you have Biden, you know, everything that's happening now, the incredible, I think uh, uh, inflation is now at a 40-year high. And so every communication Biden puts out has hashtag Putin's inflation. It's, it's Putin's fault that gas is $122 a gallon. Yeah, this invasion is making gas go up, but food has been going up, and it's been going up for months. It's been going up since they started, and they're still telling us it's going to go away. And then you have our culture, which is the thing that always bugs me most. You have Stephen Colbert saying something like this. This is cut seven. Since the invasion, oil prices have skyrocketed. Today, the average gas price in America hit an all-time record high of over $4 per gallon. Okay, that stings, but a clean conscience is worth a buck or two. I'm willing to pay. It's important. It's important. I'm willing to pay $4 a gallon. Hell, I'll pay $15 a gallon because I drive a Tesla. (laughs) So, so, (laughs) geez, Louise. You know, I would like to respond in a calm manner, like, up yours, you supercilious piece of garbage. Uh, You know, When people talk about income inequality, which is a problem in this country, it actually is a problem when income inequality becomes too great. It inspires socialists to give socialists, uh, you know, cover for their crappy ideas and their lack of attacks on freedom. But when you talk about income inequality, you usually think about the plight of the people, people on the bottom. Okay, but nobody goes to hell for being poor. In fact, it may be the opposite, right? But you do go to hell for becoming a supercilious idiot who no longer cares about the people who can't afford a freaking Tesla. You know, you're sitting there in your Hollywood studio making millions of dollars a year and telling people, oh, a clean conscience is worth at least 15 bucks a gallon. When another guy is out there driving his truck, which is his mode of making a living, of feeding his children, of putting food in his mouth. And he can't afford that gas. And that, that is at the heart of our weakness. At the heart of our weakness is people who've become so rich, so powerful, so isolated, that they no longer think of the individuals and their freedom, and they no longer think of individuals and their dignity. They think of their theories, and they want to impose those theories on that kind of mass of ants crawling around down there below them. Stephen Colbert is in danger of his very soul. And I say this as somebody who doesn't get a vote on his very soul. But when you talk like that, when you 
you say, oh, I'm, I want a clean conscience and it costs me $15 a gallon, I drive a Tesla. I'm in Hollywood. What do I care what's happening to you? You know, that that is a serious problem in this country. It is the problem of a leadership that is completely isolated from the rest of us and is completely isolated from people you know, who just want to do what they want to do. They want to say what they want to say. And the guys and guys who are thinking, well, I run this social media platform so I can tell you to be quiet. I can shut up your opinion. I can I can shut you off. I can shut you up. I can shut you off. I can condemn you. I can get rid of your job. I can take you off that television show. I can take you out of your, your uh, job of work because you said something I don't like. I can do all these things to you. We have lost the plot of what we're supposed to be doing here, which is supposed to be elevating individuals in freedom. When we do that, when we face a Putin doing that, there'll be no weakness. When we face a Putin doing that and not lying and telling the truth about the world as it is and what America is all about, guys like Putin will fall before us like dominoes. Until we do it, we're giving them strength. We're, giving, we're strengthening evil by being weak. We are not evil yet, but we are strengthening evil by being weak, and we are weak because we are lying. I love the Ring video doorbell. When people come to the door, no matter where you are, you can see them and talk to them on your phone. But you may not know that Ring makes an alarm. Ring makes an alarm that is an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. All their stuff is really easy to install. Get all of the sensors for motion, doors, and windows that will work on any house or apartment. You'll get notified right on your phone whenever anything is detected. With Ring Alarm, you and your loved ones can rest easy knowing that Ring is helping to protect your home. And it's more than just security. You can add sensors that help protect your home from flood, freeze, and fire, too. And here's my favorite part. Professional monitoring gives the ultimate peace of mind. It's part of a Ring Protect subscription, and there are no long-term commitments. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call you and can request emergency services. Ring has an award-winning alarm, so go to ring.com forward slash Clavin to get a great deal on a Ring Alarm home security kit today. That's ring.com forward slash Clavin. Anyone comes to your door and knows how to spell Clavin, set off the alarm. So we're talking about Western weakness in the face of the evil of uh, Vladimir Putin. And I want to talk about this from a cultural point of view, which is a point of view that I find particularly painful. But at the same time, just because a country is going into a period of decline does not mean it's finished. That doesn't mean they the culture has come to an end, this is going to happen again and again. Somebody once said there's a lot of ruin in a nation, meaning that you go into these troughs, but that doesn't mean you won't come out. It's a dangerous period. The great uh, Christian existentialist, Soren Kierkegaard, if you've never read him, really excellent philosopher, very readable, uh, but he said the most common form of despair is not knowing you're in despair. And one of the things that happens when culture is degraded is not only do people not know it, uh, but they actually cheer it on. They have reasons for believing that the thing they're doing is right and better than what came before. And if you object, you're just an old person or an out-of-touch person uh, being an old crank. You're just not going with the times. And so I want to look at that a little bit more. I mean, an ex a good example of this is the sculpture of the ancient world, the classical world. Uh, here's the, the Venus de Milo, one of the most beautiful uh, nudes you've ever seen. Just an absolute, uh, absolutely gorgeous statue. This is from 125 years uh, before the birth of Christ. 
a thousand years later, right, of 1100 years later, uh, here is a, a virgin and child. And you can just see that uh, a lot of skill has gone out of it. But also there is this reaction against uh, nudity, against uh, representing classical gods because they're not the real god. And so they're idolatry. Uh, and, and so there's a rejection of uh, the classical world that co- allows the falling off of, of the arts uh, to be cheered, basically, to be supported on, in, on philosophical grounds. It's not until people start to rediscover uh, the, the classical world that they start to imitate the classical world and the arts return. And that's the Renaissance. It's, Renaissance means rebirth, but it was being reborn with the classical values and the skill that it took uh, to basically create lifelike statues and, and the beautiful nudes that then came into being, the beautiful figures and, and faces. Um, now, that's really important to understand this is not a question of talent, okay? There's usually, there's going to be the same amount of talent at any given moment. I mean, obviously it's going to pool and it's going to thin out, but it basically the same amount of talent is going to be there, but it has to do with the culture that's being represented because the arts represent the inner life of a culture. And if that culture for some reason has become pinched or primitive uh, or small or uh, degraded, then the arts will reflect that and people will use their talents for that end, thinking that they're doing the wrong thing. You know, if, if I, I often talk about the fact, thinking that they're doing the right thing, sorry, I often talk about the fact that Fred Astaire, if he were born today, uh, when there's no such thing essentially as a movie musical, when it's not the height of the movie musical, Fred Astaire would be running a dancing school in upstate New York, you know. Uh, he came along at a moment, and this is really important, that in these moments of transition, if the arts come back, they come back with a vengeance. So you have, for instance, people like uh, Shakespeare who come up after the tumult or in the midst of the tumult of the Reformation when a new world is coming into being because of the Reformation. And you get this genius Shakespeare. If Shakespeare had been born 100 years earlier, he would not have created the insanely uh, brilliant a body of work that he did. You get uh, actors like Marlon Brando who come along in the beginning of the sort of postmodern world, and they revolutionize uh, acting. In my book, The Truth and Beauty, I talk about the Romantic Poets who came along at just such a hinge of history, this moment when there was revolution in the air, not just the American Revolution, but then the French Revolution. There was a revolution, and these guys had to reinvent uh, some of the ideas that had gone by the boards, including the idea of faith. And that's why I turned to them in looking, in looking at how we can reinvent faith. So I'm not talking about the, the talent. I'm talking about whether the culture is producing uh, an atmosphere that is degraded or whether it's in ascent or decline. And right this minute in our culture, we don't know. We know we're in decline, but we don't know whether we're about to turn things around. And this is something I'm going to come back to. Uh, I'm not going to come back to it next week because we have other things planned, but uh, we're going to bring back Megan Basham for her cultural segment. But I'm going to return to what how we can rebuild this culture uh, in order to not be degraded anymore. You know, I'll give you another example, though, of how decline is cheered on. I I make fun of rock and roll music, and I make fun of rap because I think rap is just uh, garbage. But, you know, you look at the lyrics of the great days of the... Uh, of American music, which was the 30s, 40s, and and 50s. And you get these lyrics, these incredible, simple, straightforward lyrics that are yet very condensed and beautiful. I just picked one out uh, that I happen to like, uh, a lyric called Autumn in New York. You've probably heard this song by a guy named Vernon Duke, written in 1934. And he's describing 
basically it's just a description of autumn in New York. And you have lines like glittering crowds and shimmering clouds in canyons of steel. Very simple, very direct. Uh, you have the great line, dreamers with empty hands sigh for exotic lands, it's autumn in New York. And you can just see those people who've come to New York to have their dreams come true and they um, and, and their dreams have not come true and they're thinking of someplace that they want to be in their mind. Then you get a lyric, for instance, when you have this turnaround that rock and roll comes along and you have Lennon and McCartney, two extraordinarily talented uh, men who write a lyric that goes like this. You think you've lost your love. Well, I saw her yesterday, yay. If you she's thinking of and she told me what to say, yay. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's degraded. It is degraded from the skill that it took to write Autumn in New York to this. And you say, well, the Beatles, the Beatles are great. The Beatles are great, but they're representing a moment when things are turning around, I think, in a bad direction. And and when you say that, when you say, oh, you know, actually, music lyrics were better uh, in the 1940s, People think like, oh my gosh, this guy is so out of touch, he's so old and all this stuff. But no, it actually is what was happening to our culture. It's not the question of the talent. Now, one of the things that happens to arts when they start to decline is that they turn in on themselves and they become about themselves. And often at the moment that 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 happens, just like with the Beatles, at the moment that happens, you have a fantastically talented artist who begins it. And this is what happened with the Beatles. You have, they're incredibly talented. They did incredible work. They wrote some very beautiful songs that even I like who hate rock and rolls, but they led into a time of decline when music got worse and worse and worse. Uh, The same thing is true in the novel with James Joyce, who essentially writes you which is a brilliant novel, but it's the beginning of novels that are about novels. And ultimately what happens with that is they become abstract, they become obtuse, the, the, they separate, the, a dying art form separates into two things. One is the popular uh, trash that people like, and the other is thoughtful, uh, solipsistic, meaning self-referential art that intellectuals like. And art, when it is lively, when it's vibrant, when it's uh, at, at the top of its form, appeal its best stuff appeals to the most people. So that's why I always say the peak of the movie industry uh, was 1939, um, when the greatest films that were being made were also the films being nominated for Oscars, were also the films that were beating up the box office, that were winning in the box office. Uh, You know, if we don't uh, get to World War III by the time I come back, (laughs) it's still going to be terrible because you're going to be Clavenless and you'll be wandering through the dark. Uh, It's like crawling over broken glass while there are flames and demons poking at you with pitchforks. Uh, But but for those few of you, those chosen few, those happy few uh, who survive into next week, uh, I will be back. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and I am Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thank you for listening.